For the last several days and weeks, the island of Maui has been in flames. One particular town, Lahaina, has been devastated. And this past Thursday, the management agency administrator announced his resignation after receiving questions as to why they did not sound the emergency siren system over Maui because of the fire. The death toll on as of Wednesday had risen to 111 people, death by fire on that beautiful island. He said to his defense, he was afraid that people would have uh, ran to the mountains rather than the sea, which is actually kind of interesting. I don't know what kind of person would run directly to the fire, but nonetheless, it's terrible to be in danger. It's worse when no one warns you. The world is in danger. Fortunately for us, God has given us a book in the Bible to warn us of this danger, and that's the book of Revelation. We look at our culture today, and so much of what we see happening in our world today is directly talked about in the book of Revelation. Whether it is socialism, there will be a worldwide socialism policy that takes place during the tribulation, and it's described for us in the book of Revelation. Globalism is described for us in the book of Revelation. Earth-wide pandemics are described for us in the book of Revelation. Economic chaos is described for us in the book of Revelation. A wide-scale apostasy of churches away from God and away from preaching the gospel is described for us in the book of Revelation. Cancel culture is described for us in the book of Revelation. And the epicenter of it all, the city of Jerusalem, the area of uh, Israel, is literally the geographical center of where this all takes, which is interesting for those of you that are students of the Bible to know that Israel was not even formed around its own country until mid-last century. So quite literally... In every possible way, the stage is set in the Bible for us to experience what takes place in the book of Revelation. Every day around us, we look at international and cultural chaos resulting in endless war. In most parts of our world, it is plagued by insufficient food sources. Do you realize that currently, in our world today, there is at least one military weapon and several thousand pounds of explosives for every man, woman, and child that lives on this planet right now. There will be more disease and devastation. Every, even today, millions of people in the world <coughs> are being <coughs> afflicted excuse me, by insufficient food, the spreads of disease, antibiotic resistance, and the devastating effect of natural disasters. Now, folks, it would be very easy to look at the news and be overwhelmed with despair and anxiety and, and confusion. But I am here to tell you, as a child of God, we have the privilege to not look into the face of a news anchor, but look into the face of Jesus Christ, where we find the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending of all things. 
And rather than bringing pee, or excuse me, anxiety and despair into our lives, it should bring hope, peace, and certainty to every child of God knowing what this world is actually coming to. The song says it like this, we the church declare, Jesus Christ is king, for he conquered death once for all. We will live in light of his victory following his gospel call. And when the story ends, we know Jesus wins, for his power cannot be stopped. Nothing ever can and nothing ever will overcome the Lord our God. Listen very carefully, folks. There is a message in the book of Revelation, and it's very simple. Watch it. Jesus wins. When it's all said and done, when the last chapter's written, when the story closes, when the world folds up in flames of fire and a new heaven and a new earth are established, Jesus always has been, is today, and always will be the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. And when you read the book of Revelation, you will come away with this absolute certainty. And that is, Jesus wins, and if you're on his team, you also win. Sadly, if you're not, you lose. Now let me go at this book. I was wrestling about how to do this, and I finally decided to just relinquish control and just let God control how this goes. Novel thought, right? And I wrestled about trying to, how much I was going to include in a sermon and what I was going to do. And am I going to do an introductory sermon? Am I not? And I finally just decided yesterday, actually, on a plane ride back to Jacksonville to rewrite my entire sermon for today. So this will be a bit of introduction. But good for us, the first eight verses of the chapter, of the first chapter, are actually an introduction. I want you to walk away today knowing what this book is, knowing what this book is about, and being challenged about your faith. And if you're lost here today, being challenged about accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior before it is eternally too late. So what is the book of Revelation? Number one, the book of Revelation is the Word of God. It is the word of God. Notice verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. The first thing that we are going to learn about the fact that revelation is the word of God is we learn how this book was given. And notice it again. The book is a revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, that is Jesus, to show his servants, that is us, Things that must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John. So God the Father unveiled the revelation to his son. His son, Jesus, sent the message through a messenger, an angel, who gave it to John and signaled it to John in a vision, in a dream, and then John recorded the revelation down for us, and it was to be originally circulated to a group of seven churches. And that's very, very important for you to understand. Now, the book of Revelation is not only the word of God, it is also an epistle to the church. So it's very important that you understand the whole message of Revelation was not given to the world to warn them about things to come. The entire book of Revelation was given to the church to challenge the church to be faithful rather than fearful in the last days. Now, I want you to see this. This map is up here on your screen. Look, if you will, at verse number four. The Bible says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia. 
Now this is a map. It's an interesting map. It's a map of Turkey. In addition to Turkey and the cities that are in Turkey, which are marked red there, you also over on the uh, western side of the country see that there are seven purple dots. It may be hard to see them from where you are. And then off of the western coast of Turkey, there is a little island in that series of islands called the Isle of Patmos. Now, the Isle of Patmos was a prison where John had been banished to for the faith. And we're going to talk about that next week. But this original letter, uh, according to verse 4, is written to seven churches which are in Asia Minor. Then verse 11, look at verse 11 at the end of the verse. It explains or identifies those seven churches. It is the church of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now, if you look very carefully, uh, right there on the uh, eastern or western shore, they go in order clockwise. You have Ephesus, then north uh, west of Ephesus is Smyrna, straight north is Pergamos, then Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now, the reason that's significant is I want you to know two things about this particular letter. It is a literal letter written to literal churches. These churches actually existed. They existed in what is now the country of Turkey. Then it wasn't called that. This letter was circulated like a piece of mail to each of these seven churches. So listen very carefully. When you go to understand the book of Revelation, please do not hyper or over-spiritualize the book of Revelation. The church at Ephesus does not represent the first century church, nor does the church of Laodicea represent the 21st century church. Quite honestly, that might be true of America today. We might be more Laodicean, but I would think that Chinese brothers and sisters or uh, brothers and sisters in Iraq who die for Jesus... Brothers and sisters in Egypt who are giving their lives for the gospel would probably find it offensive if we called them the Laodicean church. Quite honestly, it's kind of fitting for us, isn't it? The lukewarm, apathetic generation of Christians that lives here in the 21st century in America. Sure, I can understand that. Folks, these are not, excuse me, (coughs) these, these are not church ages. These are literal churches. And because they were literal, actual churches with different problems different needs, we can say that there certainly are churches like the church of Ephesus, like the church of Smyrna, like the church of Pergamos, and many others that would be represented in every generation of all time. So it could be said that there is a church that is acting like the church of Ephesus, but please make no mistake about it. What is the book of Revelation? It is the word of God. That's why verse 3 gives us this promise And this blessing for those who read it. Look at verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein. Now, the primary focus of the book of Revelation is found in the word itself in verse number 1. The word revelation. Now, the word in Greek is the word apocalypse. Now, usually when you see the word apocalypse... It's usually attached to like some alien movie or something, okay? Or you think of apocalypse like doomsday. But I want you to know that's actually not what the actual word apocalypse means. The word revelation is a far better word. The word that's there right there in the text. And literally the word revelation means the unveiling of or the uncovering of. Have you ever read the book of Revelation? Have you ever thought to yourself, this is so strange. This is so hard to understand. What in the world is going on here? Here's the good news. 
God did not give it to you to confuse you. He gave it to you to make known his son and what his son would do at the ends of the earth. So as we walk through this book together, we need to understand, this is not some weird conspiracy theory handbook. This is not some book of weird symbols that you have to have a decipher code to figure out. No, no, no. This is the word of God given to John, given to churches, and given to us, the church today, to know how to respond and how to be faithful when these times come. So number one, the revelation is the word of God. Number two, revelation is, I love this, the testimony of Jesus Christ. It is the testimony of Jesus Christ. Notice again, verse one, the phrase, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, folks, I have seen people who have made a mess and a muck of the book of Revelation because they're looking for signs instead of for their Savior. Now, folks, you've got to understand, that's not the point of the book of Revelation. The point of the book of Revelation is not to figure out what the walking caterpillar is or whatever, okay? The book of Revelation is to figure out who Jesus is and what Jesus is going to do when this world comes to an end. So who are we going to focus on in the book of Revelation? We're going to focus on the same person that we've been focusing on ever since I've come to this church to be the pastor. We're going to focus on Jesus. After all, he's the only person worth focusing our lives on. But specifically, we learn in chapter number one significant things about Jesus that are worth taking a look at today. Number one, we learn who Jesus is. And who is Jesus? Well, in short, Jesus is God. I thought somebody might say amen right there. I realize that was a little heavy, but in short, Jesus is actually God, okay? Look, if you will, at verse number four. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, God the Father, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, that's the Holy Spirit. You can mark Isaiah 11, verses 1 and 2 as a reference there. Then in verse 5, and from Jesus Christ. I know he's God because right here in verse 4 and 5, he is fundamentally identified as the third member of the Trinity, God the Son. Now, if God is anything, if there's anything that makes the true God, God, it is that God is Trinity. Now, if you want to know a difference between uh, something like Allah and the true and living God, just mention the word Trinity and see what happens. It's interesting enough, if you have an Arabic Bible, an Arabic translation of the Bible, the word God is Allah in the Arabic translation of the Bible. And it's interesting because so many uh, Muslim people will say, well, you see, really, uh, they're just the same, Allah and God. Folks, I got to tell you, Allah is not God, and God is not Allah. The God that I'm preaching about today is Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. The Son is not the Spirit, the Son is not the Father, and the Father is not the Spirit, but they're all God. They're all equally God in power and glory and authority, and he's identified as God. Folks, I'm just going to say it here. I'm never going to stop saying it. I believe that Jesus Christ is God. I believe he's the Son of God. I believe he's God the Son. I believe if he wasn't, then salvation is a hoax. The Bible is false, and the church should close its doors, and we should all go play pickleball on Sunday instead of preaching the Word of God. I believe Jesus is God. He is. He absolutely is. And he's further described, I love this, as the faithful witness. 
A faithful witness is given the title faithful witness like in the book of Proverbs as somebody who gives proper testimony in the court of law. Friends, I want you to know Jesus is a faithful witness because whatever the Father gave him, he made faithfully known to his disciples. I believe Jesus is the faithful witness because he taught us the way of God in truth and did not care for or regard the person of men. I believe Jesus is a faithful witness because he announced condemnation on reprobate people. And he, and he told the Pharisees that your religion was not enough to get you to heaven. I believe Jesus is a faithful witness because he confirmed who he was through the miracles that he performed. I believe that Jesus Christ was a faithful witness because uh, uh, death could not hold him. What he said was true. And he is a faithful witness because he gives us a testimony of what is going to happen in the days to come. The bottom line is this. Why is John saying this to us in chapter number one? He's saying everything that I'm getting ready to tell you is true because everything I've already told you about Jesus and through Jesus is also true. He's the faithful witness. Notice this. He's also the firstborn from the dead. I know that's a, somewhat of a difficult phrase. Some people have trouble interpreting that. There are people that believe that Jesus was actually the first created being the firstborn that is absolutely false jesus had no beginning and jesus will have no ending jesus had no predecessors jesus will have no successors jesus was not created he was not birth if you will now he did take on flesh but this phrase specifically identifies that jesus watches is the firstborn from the dead now colossians chapter one says the same thing and I got to thinking about this phrase and what does it mean? And then God brought to my attention Romans chapter 6 and verse number 9. Listen to this. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over Christ. Now, what does it mean that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead? It doesn't mean that Jesus was the first person ever raised from the dead. Think about it. Elijah raised people from the dead. Jesus raised people from the dead before he was raised from the dead. What does it mean that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead? He was the first person that ever died and rose again and never to die again. Think about it, folks. Do you know that people went to Lazarus' funeral twice? The little boy that was raised by Elijah in the Old Testament died twice. The boy that Jesus rose out of the tombstone or out of, the, out of the coffin at the funeral procession there in Luke chapter, I believe it's four, they had a second funeral. Nobody ever had a second funeral or a second burial for the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, what's the big deal about that? He's the first one like that, not the last one like that, meaning that those of us who die in Jesus will be raised together to die no more and death no longer... No longer has dominion over the child of God. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead as the firstborn and we rise with him. Come on. We live with him. We live in glory with him. And nothing can ever stop us. Death cannot hold us. The grave will not stop the child of God. Why? Because Jesus is alive from the dead. Y'all getting excited yet? By the way, I'm talking about Jesus in chapter 1 before the revelation comes. I'm talking about Jesus in chapter 1 when the church is suffering and when life 
life is going down. Listen, don't ever mistake the front news of the, uh, a page of the newspaper to believe that Jesus is not alive and Jesus is not well. He is, he was, he always will be in charge of this world. And that's why the next phrase says this. I love this. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Reminds me of what Psalm 2 says. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens will laugh. My friend H.P. Charles says it like this. That's a divine comedy. And when God laughs, ain't nothing funny. People rage against God. People stand against God. False prophets teach against God. The world tries to drown out the Bible, kill its Christians, burn its churches, destroy its witness. And what does God do when every person thumbs their nose at God and shakes their fist in his face? You know what he does? He laughs. Because he's in charge of it all. In the book of Revelation, the word throne appears 46 times. Times. In the book of Revelation, the word king appears 25 times. In the, in, in, in the book of Revelation, the Greek word for authority appears 33 times in the Bible. What is he saying? What is the scope? What is the message? I'm in charge here. And you will one day find out just how much Jesus is in charge when his son is unveiled from heaven. So what is Jesus? Who is Jesus? That's verses four and five the first part and the second question that we ask is this what has Jesus done for us well look at verse five again the latter part to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and father to him be glory and dominion forever and forever. What has Jesus done for us? In short, let me give them to you real quick. First of all, Jesus has loved us with an unbreakable love. Secondly, Jesus has released us from the guilt and shame of our sins by washing us in his blood. Thirdly, Jesus has changed our position with God from an enemy to a priest and a king. I'm saying to you, Jesus took care of everything that you needed and completely transformed your life because he loved you, because he washed you, and because he made you a king and a priest. Friend, i got to stop here and ask you this question. Do you know Jesus this morning as your Lord and Savior? Have you bowed to this King of kings and Lord of lords? Have you accepted his lordship? Have you accepted his death, his burial, his resurrection? Have you died to yourself and believed on him, the only one that rose from the dead? Are you trusting him? Are you following him? Are you his disciple? You should be for crying out loud. He's the king, man. He's the king. So we learn, first of all, that revelation is the word of God. Secondly, revelation is the testimony of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, this is what you really came for. Revelation is the future of all things. Revelation is the future of all things. Back up to verse number one, and let me show you this. It says here, <coughs> the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, watch this, Mark this phrase, things which must shortly take place. I want you to circle two words in your Bible if you're in the habit of doing that. How about the word must and the word shortly? 
He must come again, and he will shortly come again. Look at verse 3. Blessed is he who reads uh, uh, and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it. Here it is. For the time is near. And let me make a note about the word prophecy. Some of you have heard that word prophecy. You've, you've maybe followed uh, experts in prophecy. I read a lot of stuff by David Jeremiah. Some of you may like and appreciate David Jeremiah. He's considered an expert in prophecy. What is the word prophecy? What does it even mean? Well, the word prophecy comes from two Greek words. One is pro, which means beforehand, and one is pheo, which means to declare or to make known. So prophecy is telling something or making something known before it happens. Let me give you my favorite definition of prophecy. Prophecy is history written before it happens. So what is the book of Revelation? Revelation is telling you history before it happens. Folks, what we're going to study in the book of Revelation, watch this, is going to happen. Now, I want you to look at verse 19 and see how the whole book of Revelation unfolds. Look, if you will, verse 19. We'll cover this in detail next week, but look at this. God says to John, write the things which you have seen, which are, and the things which will take place after this. Now, I want to show you, and I'm going to show you this every week, a little timeline of the book of Revelation so that you can understand what is going on in the book. It's broken up into those three categories. What was, what is, and what is going to come. What was is in chapter 1, Jesus Christ. Always has been, always will be, always was. Chapters 2 and 3 is what's happening now. The church age, if you will. The churches of Jesus Christ. Then, in chapter number 4, all the way through the end of the book, you're going to see what is to come. And starting in chapter number 4, verse 1, you're going to see the church of Jesus Christ raptured out of this world to stand with God for seven years while God judges this earth in a time called the tribulation period. That is going to take place uh, in Revelation chapter, predominantly chapter 6, through chapter 19. The church is called out of this earth. The church stands at the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to look at all that. And then the judge of the earth, God, is going to turn back down to this earth and he's going to pour out his final judgment on a Christ-rejecting world and Israel that turned its back on its creator. That is the week of Daniel's 70th week is described in Daniel chapter number 9. It is fulfilled in seven years of tribulation period in Revelation chapter 6 through 19. And then when God is finished pouring out his judgments, the seal, the trumpet, and the bold judgments on this earth, then the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return to this earth, as you see right there in the center, the return of Jesus Christ with his people, us, to this earth to establish his millennial reign on this planet And then finally Satan will rebel and finally all people that rejected God will be judged at the great white throne judgment. And at the very end of the book, we're going to see a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. And God will make all things new. And here's the great news, friend. Revelation finishes up everything that God started in the book of Genesis. Genesis marks the the creation of heaven and earth. Revelation marks their end. Genesis records the entrance of sin and the curse. Revelation marks their end. Genesis 
sees death enter to the stage. Revelation sees death exit the stage. Genesis sees sorrow make its entrance into this world, and Revelation sees sorrow taken out of this world. Folks, what I'm saying to you today is Revelation is the culmination of all things. It is future that is yet to happen, yet it is history that is certain to happen, and it all is really pointing to one thing. You ready? Jesus Christ is coming again. Now, that's what I really want you to see at the end of this message. Let's back up, if you will, to verse number 7 as we wrap this up. <coughs> Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even though they who pierced him and all the tribes of earth will mourn because of him. Folks, I want you to see that this is a promise of the return of Jesus Christ. Mark those words down. He will come, or he is coming. Christ is coming again. Folks, this is not a rhetorical devices. This is not scare tactics. This is, and by the way, you say, this will scare me. Folks, listen, I, look, I'd rather scare you if I have to than let you wander around in ignorance and foolishness and miss Jesus Christ coming after you. Amen. If it scares you, let it scare you. For some of you, honestly, you probably need a really good shaking up. But friend, this book is not written to frighten you. It is written to encourage you to be faithful to God. And I just want to tell you, if you're a Christian, you have absolutely nothing to be afraid of. Now, if you're not, you have a whole lot of things to be afraid of. But if you're a Christian in here, you shouldn't be afraid. You should be saying what he says at the end of verse 7. Even so, even so come. Lord have mercy. Is there not anybody else out here that feels like me about that? I'm kind of tired of seeing news about people being, their lives being devastated and cities going up in smoke and babies being smuggled away from their parents and sold into trafficking and babies being killed at the hospital every single day and, 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 and fathers leaving their kids and destroying their homes and alcohol and drugs wrecking people's lives. I don't know about you. I'm tired of that stuff. Even so, Jesus, come. Even so, Jesus come. Why not? Why not? Are you living for something here that's a little bit more important than that? Lord, have mercy. If your best life is now, that means you're going to hell. Folks, I don't care if you enjoy all this world has to offer. I don't care if you've got a nice house and nice cars and nice things and more money than you can spend. Your kids go to the nicest schools and you got the nicest clothes and you got the nicest education. Friend, listen, this world is broken. This world is bad. There's nothing here for me, friend. Get my eyes off of the things and let them grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I want Jesus, man. I don't care about all this stuff. He tells me several things. He tells me that his coming is imminent. It is imminent. It's going to shortly come to pass. Folks, listen, I'm telling you that before this service is over at 11 o'clock, I'm here to tell you Jesus could split that eastern sky upon the trumpets blowing and upon a shout, we could be out of here before you hit the lunch after this service is over. Friend, I believe that with all my heart. He's coming shortly, quickly. Number two, he's coming in glory. Look at what it says here. He's coming in the clouds. Friend, when he ascended up out of here, he went to the clouds. When he comes back, he's coming in the clouds. 
The clouds are a picture of his glory. Daniel 7 says, I saw in night visions, and behold, with the cloud of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. He is the Ancient of Days and was presented before them. And to him was given dominion and glory and kingdoms that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His, dom- his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Friend, listen to me. He's not coming next time in a manger. He's not coming as a weak baby that had to have somebody change his diaper. He's coming next time on a horse with a throne on his head. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming in glory, friend. And then watch this everybody's going to know it then everybody's going to know it then every eye shall see him even those who pierced him meaning there'll come a day where regret it not now but you'll regret it one day I used to think how in the world is every eye going to see him until I lived in this age how's every eye going to see Jesus You ever heard of going viral? Do you want to know what the most watched video in YouTube history is? I cannot believe I'm even about to say this. The most watched video in YouTube history is Baby Shark. Y'all wonder why our kids are crazy? (laughs) You done showed them baby shark. We don't do baby shark at our house. What? How is this the most watched video in the history of the world? As of uh, January 13th of 2022, it had 10 billion views on YouTube. 10 billion views. You don't even have to have any sense to write the song Baby Shark. It's the craziest thing I've ever heard. And the dude has 10. It is, and by the way, his name, the dude that wrote it, you get this, his name is Pink Fong. Pink Fong. That explains a lot. That explains a lot of what's wrong. Pink Fong writes a song called Baby Shark and 10 billion, oh by the way, that was just last year. Now it's already up to 13 billion. 13 billion people have watched Pink phones, baby shark. That's insane. Friend, you don't, you, you, let me tell you something right now. Jesus is going viral. Jesus is going viral. When he comes and returns to this earth with his people, you better bet everybody's going to see it because it's going on YouTube and it's going to be broadcast to every cell phone. Every internet site, every, every newspaper, every television across this world and little villages in the darkest jungles and resources of Africa. And they'll put out, everybody will have phones and everybody will have video and everybody will see. You don't think everybody's going to, every eye will see it. By the way, ultimately, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is coming. He is coming. And that's what we're going to look at for the next, like, 50 weeks. First <laughs> <coughs> Peter 4, 7, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. James 5, therefore, be patient, brethren, 
until the coming of the Lord? See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until he receives the early and latter rain? Yes, be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draws nigh. 1 John 2.18, little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know it is the last hour. Let's pray.